0: Nicodemus said to him, How can you these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe me. How can you believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the world. Be to God.
1: Greetings to you from Greenville, South Carolina, from Furman University, from wherever. I'm overjoyed to be here with you. Um, as Julie mentioned, there are some long-held relationships both um, with Julie when I was a fumbling, tumbling college student, still kind of am, and also um, with Michelle when I did an internship at First Greenville when I was in Divinity School at Duke. So I'm um, deeply grateful for those relationships. Um, My understanding is part of the reason I'm here as well is to celebrate Martha Stern's Marshall Sunday in Cooperative Baptist Life in which um, oftentimes the pulpit is um, space is created for uh, a a woman who's a minister called to the pastorate to offer a word of proclamation. The cool thing here is y'all are kind of used to that. Um, (laughs) I'm grateful to be amidst a community that honors um, the life and calling of all people, um, regardless, um, actually deeply invested in um, gender. So thanks be to God for that. I'm grateful for it and uh, grateful for this space and time. I'll offer a blessing as we enter in together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. (coughs) So I googled the phrase confessions of a with the all-powerful open-ended ellipses after it slinging wide the door to a world of wild discovery. In return, in the way that the mysterious search engine always does, I was gifted with a gem of a list. A few for our imagining this morning. Confessions of a drone operator. I know I wanted to sing Smooth Operator too. Confessions of a trust fund baby. Confessions of a window cleaner, confessions of a shopaholic, confessions of a New York City cab driver. I'm confident that a few images, maybe we won't want to admit it, but stereotypes, strolled through the corridors of your imagination. So many eyes and ears and stories and moments and confessions so unlike yours and mine, which is, of course, the appeal of confessions, to use a Christian term. They let us enter inside contexts unlike our own, and story after story after story, they build for us an entirely new matrix of being and seeing in the world. Personal favorite in my online wonderings, was the blog Confessions of a Funeral Director. It was, of course, filled with the story soaked in the kind of humor you know you shouldn't laugh at because, of course, you've been raised better. (laughs) But how do you not chuckle at the funeral director's macabre recounting of the time he watched a group of pallbearers slip on a patch of ice outside the church's front doors only to witness a sturdy wooden casket gain acceleration through the town's main street abruptly ending its journey right through the window of the local pharmacy. <laughs> Crass here aside. As it turns out, Sunday's lectionary text, invite us into the lives of two unsuspecting future pallbearers, Abraham and Nicodemus. This morning we see them at the very beginning of their journeys in scripture. Abraham abruptly enters Genesis with a literary trumpet blast. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay. Nicodemus, just as abruptly, enters John's gospel in clouded, shrouded, late-night conversation with Jesus. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Um, Can one enter a second time in the mother's womb and be born again? And so, like Alice in Wonderland, we watch him enter a strange labyrinth with no return. But if we stretched our eyes a few chapters further in each book, we would discover that both of their stories basically end with them tending to the dead bodies of people they love. We find Abraham near the end of his tenure in Genesis, burying his wife, Sarah. And we find Nicodemus trailing behind Joseph of Arimathea at the end of John's Gospel, preparing Jesus' body burial, which makes me wonder as we continue our own Lenten journeys these coming weeks if we might not learn a little from these two future tenders and defenders of the dead. When we find Abraham pall-bearing, he is bargaining and begging for a piece of property to bury his beloved. Sarah, a woman with whom he shared a relationship that was far from simple. The scriptures describe it this way. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Good honor. This was how long she lived. She died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham cried out in grief and wept for Sarah. got up from embracing his deceased wife. He spoke with the Hittites. I am an immigrant and a temporary resident with you. Give me some property for a burial plot so that I can bury my deceased wife near me. Abraham the one who received the blessing of all blessings, land and nations and power. He stands as an immigrant in a land he does not call home with a dead partner whose skin he can hardly release. His wife, who has traveled through heartache and absurdity, has breathed her last. And he doesn't even have a secure place to lay her bones. so he has to get it done himself. This is the man whose tree holds branches, reaching into three of the world's great religions. But such grandiosity is not present in this moment. In this moment, he's a breaking, grieving, lonely partner, looking for good, soft, welcoming ground to hold his beloved one. And the last time we see Nicodemus, in John 19, he's doing his own pall-bearing while stuffing Jesus' linens with a kitchen pantry of spices. The text describes it this way. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now, I can't help but wonder if the storyteller behind the Gospel of John wasn't kind of making a little funny when describing Nicodemus packing Jesus' corpse with 100 pounds of spices, like well over half of Jesus' body weight. The Sabbath was creeping up on them, And he didn't really want Jesus to stink, I guess, so he just smothered him in myrrh and thyme and rosemary or whatever was available. Or maybe he just wasn't quite ready to grasp the awful and pointed fact that his friend was dead. Maybe it's guilt because he never publicly professed his friendship with Jesus. Even when the Sanhedrin was ready to send Jesus to pasture, Maybe it's a strict obsession with the law, a desperate, almost manic need to make sure this body receives due process. Maybe it's just love, a sacred need to care for, wash, and honor this friend who stayed up with him late at night, meandering through the maze of existence. Before either of them were dazed and confused pallbearers, though, They were where we find them today. Abraham is packing his belongings and running God knows where, at least we think God knows where. And Nicodemus is sitting on the front stoop or back deck with the very alive Jesus in the middle of the night, a dangerous time for travel and chatter in an ancient Near Eastern context. And little did they know that the deepest of all mysteries they have yet to face is, the tender, intimate, jarring act of carrying the dead. They will one day be pallbearers, no icy patches in sight, but plenty of grief and uncertainty and vulnerability in the face of their mortality. So I can't help but invite both of them into Providence Baptist this morning and let them ask us, how do you carry the dead? Just a few days ago, someone in a robe kind of like this smeared your face with ashes and told you that you were dust, and to dust you would return. That's positive thinking if I've ever heard it. Right back at you.
0: <laughs>
1: Every year, I'm equally surprised by the well. 8 a.m. Ash Wednesday service at Furman Uh with groggy eyes and hardly brushed hair. In they walk and as they do I can almost see them stripping away the pretense. They lug around with them all day long. Somehow in the midst of unrelenting expectations and high achievement and the terror endured with being an undeclared major and the frenzy that comes with landing the right internship and the right job and the right spouse and the right neighborhood and the right future. I can't help but wonder if students strangely want to know and hear and simply receive the odd mystery that they are going to die. That all of it, all of it, every ounce of what's swirling and twirling in their heads isn't bigger than that reality. Most major world religions have deep, long standing practices when it comes to caring for a loved one's dead body. Interestingly enough, We Christians have gradually released ourselves of such practices, but that would take time and tones that we don't have right now. It's worth noting, though, both of our sister faiths, Islam and Judaism, practice the rituals of washing, preparing, blessing. I have a Muslim friend and colleague who told me one day over sandwiches that he realized he had been growing increasingly unfeeling, less sensitive to others' plights and struggles in life. He was sensing himself becoming colder, harder, more stolid in his interactions. You know what he decided to do? He decided to become a preparer and washer and blesser of the recently deceased at his mosque. He wanted to be closer to death in order to be closer to life. And he said that something about being with these bodies that were so much more than mere skin and muscle about really seeing them and imagining them and being present, about almost hearing their lives retold in the washing and blessing and wrapping, that he could feel the blood returning to his own heart, slowly but surely. Theologian Richard Glisher and my preaching professor from seminary recently published his latest book entitled, Stations of the Heart. In it, he recounts the journey he and his family took when their 33-year-old son, Adam, with a baby on the way, received the bitter, deadly stage four diagnosis. I'd like to read for you, in particular, the moment right after Adam's passing. Lucia writes, This is a scene that never changes. How gracefully he lies in his shorts and t-shirt with the sheet draped casually across one of his legs. We remove the oxygen line from his nostrils and unfasten it from his ears. His crosses we will leave in place for the time being. We pass the better part of an hour. Remarking upon his beauty. The longer we study him, the finer his nose and mouth appear to us. The more delicate his eyelashes, the stronger his jaw. If he has grown a bit thin in life now, it seems ideally proportioned with broad shoulders, graceful limbs, and the soft hands of a child still fit for holding it appears to us that some artist from antiquity has sanded and polished his skin to perfection. He belongs in a temple. He is not a dead body yet to us, but a Newman, a spiritual presence in which nothing is wanting but animation. What a wrenching of love we feel for whatever he is now. In the blink of an eye, the passions and triumphs of an entire lifetime have vanished into a Sunday morning's dream. I have no grand three-point charge this morning. Only this. During these days, wherever you may be, in ways that are healthy and whole for you, Sit with your ashes, your mortality, your death. Sit with what is dead around you, within you, even if you think it is ugly and morose. You might discover that it's more beautiful than you thought at first glance. Be a pallbearer to those around you and to all that is inside you that deserves your care, Your respect, your nurture, your tending and washing and blessing. And even if it is with fear and trembling, hold that which is dead closely, grieve it, feel it, know it, behold it. not with the morbid tone of suicidal ideation or self-loathing, but with grounded gratefulness. That you are here. That you were thought up and imagined and somehow breath came to you and you exist. In all your glory and tragedy and life and death, You are a wonder to behold. And so is everyone around you. And if all that seems too painful or unsettling or a bit much, fair enough. Let someone else, let your blessed community be a pallbearer for you right now. If the Bible is anything at all, it is ironic. Nicodemus, the man who will one day cover Jesus in spices. He hears this from his late night dialogue partner. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. So in in my imagination, I see Nicodemus reciting this moment in his confessions as he rubs Jesus' chest with aloe. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Lischer offers us another story in his book. Nine days after the funeral... We got a call from an exhausted but jubilant widow. Jenny, Adam's wife, was on the line, phoning from a more cheerful wing of the Duke Medical Center. In a voice that reminded me of Adam's way of delivering
0: good news,
1: she said, Hey Rick, I just want to let you know you have a new granddaughter. Her name is Elizabeth Adam. Duke Medical Center, of all places, once a scene of suffering and death, he says, had become a place of resurrection. But that's for another Sunday. There will be trumpets and choral thunder and lots of the A word, if you know what I mean. But this Sunday, we make our confessions. Like Abraham and Nicodemus, we sit and listen. We receive strange blessings and follow them. We prepare ourselves for the days of trial and suffering and burial. And when they come, we treat them with the dignity and the beauty that they deserve. For we are born of spirit, yes, but flesh and spirit. And this flesh, even in its beginning and its ending, is a thing to behold. into the room besides Abraham and Nicodemus, and it's the Apostle Paul, and he comes through the ages, and he says this to us, to this community gathered here, to all communities gathered everywhere, here this is a blessing, this is the blessing, this is all that names the blessing upon our lives. us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Not death. Not death. Or life. Not angels or rulers. Not present things or things to come, whatever they may be. How fearful they may make us. Not powers or principalities or height or depth. For our own shame and uncertainty, nothing, nothing, nothing separates us from the love of God. Thanks be.